You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Howdy folks, uh, it's Luke Hector here on the 9th of July 23. It has cooled a little bit, although I say cooled, we're not quite in a heat wave in the UK at the moment, apart from Friday, that was pretty hot, and I suppose Thursday as well, but the humidity has shot up to high levels, so it's still a bit of a sweat box, but at least it's not quite as uh, burning inducing as it has been. And I think we are getting some cooler weather on the horizon, even for July, so that's a good thing, you know, we had a very hot June, but I think we're having a pretty mild July at this rate, which is good for me anyway, because I don't want it to be too hot. Here, please, please give me nice cold, give me snow, give me a July snowstorm or something, turn everything into like an early white Christmas, that'd be great for me in July. It would tick off everybody else in the UK, but it would certainly like please me. Uh, general health-wise, not too bad. Uh, I seem to have got over all the <laughs> concruds and God knows what else I've had in the past, although this Throat thing feels a little bit on the the perpetual side. Like, I always seem to have a throat that can only take talking for so long before I need to drink a bunch of fluids or I risk making it sore. And it's kind of weird because even though I'm not suffering from anything else, that is still ongoing since the stomach flu and the laryngitis and the uh, congruds that I've had in, the, like, in May, early June time. So I'm tempted to see somebody about it and just check that there's nothing ongoing for that one. But it may just be a long lingering effect that just takes forever to... Uh, to sort itself out, but it's a bit of a pain when I've got uh, various conventions coming up, which I'll talk about in a mo. But, you know, otherwise generally good, you know, works fine, appraisal went fine, you know, we had a summer do the other day in Oxford, that was good fun, I've never actually been to Oxford properly, you know, I actually looked around the place, so to get a little essentially walking tour via a treasure hunt activity, actually turned out to be good fun. Well, not the treasure hunt, I mean, treasure hunts bore me, I'm not a massive fan of them at all, but it gave me a chance to walk around bits of Oxford that I had not seen before, various, uh, libraries and old buildings and colleges and stuff yeah I wasn't really paying much attention to the history side of things I was more interested in the fact that everything looked nice it was very pretty and there were some bits that were filmed in Harry Potter I believe and some Lord of the Rings moments and stuff so I think I was taking more interest in those but yeah that was a good little day out otherwise kind of business as usual really you know lots of family stuff to plan on the horizon like the parents golden anniversary and bits like that that were sorting out uh you know um and it's just quite manic i think for the second half of the year as much as the first half has been relatively straightforward so in terms of channel updates well, could be better, but you would have noticed I have been putting out a ton of content lately, like way more content than I normally do, and that is because I ended up with a lot of stuff as a result of UK Games Expo, so I had a massive backlog to clear, and I'm almost, almost up to date. I have a review coming out on Monday, and I need to review uh, Taiwanaku, um, and that's, I think, it. Oh, I, I do have to do Ra as well, the um, old version of Ra, but that can happen whenever. I mean, that's not a massive uh, necessity to get done ASAP, whereas Tawanaku is, because that was from the UK Games Expo. But 
yeah, I've just had so many games to look at. I mean, look at all this stuff. Moon, Planet Unknown, Mindbug, Isle of Trains, uh, The Rich and the Good, Marvel Dagger, The Number, Books of Time, After Us, Zuli, uh, Champions, District Noir, Aurum, and on Monday, Walking in Burano, the Roll and Write version. It's There's quite a bit, and as I said, Ra is going to be on the horizon soon, along with Tawinaku. So quite a lot of reviews have come out amidst a couple of keep or culls and like podcasts and stuff. And sadly, you know, as it is with reviews, they just don't really get the views compared to a lot of stuff because a lot of these are very niche games and I really need to be careful about what sort of stuff I accept or what content I do for these, really. I mean, you know, what have I done here? You know, District Noir, Champions, Zuli, and uh, I suppose The Rich and the Good. None of these are particularly popular games or ones that are well-known, although I thought Rich and the Good, Harbour and Goot would have had a bit more um, buzz. But yeah, they're not even breaking a thousand. They just, they're just not games people want to watch or learn about so they were quick draw reviews but still it takes time that could be spent doing other things you know the rate my shelf series you know not doing as well as last time but at least it's still popular you know it gets a lot of engagement which is what i kind of need more at the end of the day and of course uh you know the podcast only does so so well there was a couple of game reviews that i've done better than i thought i mean the isle of trains was a better one than I thought, you know, 1,600 views on that one already, and that's just for a small card game that most people probably haven't heard of, so I was quite intrigued by that, but yeah, not as money for Planet Unknown, I mean, enough people talk about Planet Unknown, I would have thought that would have got a lot more by now, and, you know, I mean, the only review that has really done great has been Marvel Dagger, Marvel Dagger is over 5,000, it's taken a long time to get to 5,000, but it's still doing very well, but then that was a big game, it was released at retail with almost no buzz, I think I was the first person to get a review out, like a proper review out, and it also was a full review, like a full detailed review, and those take me a long time to do, so naturally I expected that one to do better, but it did take a little bit of time. But, yeah, you know, After Us? After Us was one of the most hyped up ones at the Expo, and yet barely 1,200 views at this point. So, kind of hoping that some of these will pick up, but I get it that reviews are a little harder to generate views for. But it is a little bit disconcerting when you see all sorts of topics out there by other creators that get, like, 40,000 views and they're random stuff. I mean, I've seen all sorts of weird ones, you know, like, you know, various discussion topics that just don't seem like there would be much of a discussion. That was one example I saw, uh, you know, why board gaming is better now than it was. And it's like, well, you're comparing, like, modern board games to things like Monopoly and Scrabble. I think you don't need a huge discussion to understand why board gaming is better now. I mean, you're trying to say that Monopoly was the peak of gaming? I don't think so. But, you know, I digress. You know, I want to do some more of those at some point, but they're usually podcast topics. But suffice to say, there's more cool stuff on the horizon, because now that I'm catching up with the review stuff, it gives me more time to do other things. I mean, I want to do more Keep or Cull uh, episodes, so that's pretty cool. I actually am culling a bunch of games lately, so I probably want to do a special episode in that series where I talk about the culled games. Because otherwise it would be a bit weird reviewing a shelf after I've already culled stuff off it. So I'll probably do like a kind of keep or cull rate my shelf special where I talk about, right, what have I got rid of in the latest cull? And uh, it's looking like some pretty big titles are going, so it could be quite interesting on that front. 
But also I need to do the best games of, sorry, the, the, the games I've played of June 23, so I need to do that one. I also want to do a quick video as a review of 2023 so far, so kind of like a half year roundup of surprises, disappointments, best games, bad games, that kind of thing. So that one will be in the works. And of course, I am long overdue to get a top 10 out. I mean, I've got top 10 rolling rights, which is now ready to actually record. I have a list together, but then I also need to do top 10 games that got too bloated i need to think about top 10 science fiction games because you know the patrons have requested that one particularly with the bloat one so there's quite a bit i need to do and it is certainly a it's tall a little bit but i'm getting to them although some of this could be solved if i could just hurry up and stop procrastinating the need to get more uh, collaborations going. I mean, I said that Sam Healy wanted to do something at some point, so I really ought to send him an email and finally get that arranged. But there's other creators who would be nice to do some collaborations with, and obviously, you know, those ones enable me to do more on the side of the top 10s, because then I can cover a top 10 in a live broadcast. What I'm worried about, though, is whether my voice can hack it. I mean, whatever is affecting my throat at the moment is going to obviously affect a live stream, but I guess... There is the advantage that on a live stream, I can just let someone else do the talking. And I suppose if I just make certain the stream doesn't take three hours, it won't be so bad. Ugh, green tea with honey is a necessity for this. But yeah, so, you know, things could be better on the channel front. But it's been good to get a bunch of this content out. And, you know, even though... You know, a lot of people necessarily aren't watching it. At least I'm covering games of a wide variety. I'm not just covering the same two games that everybody's talking about. I mean, literally, I cannot go anywhere at the moment without hearing an Instagram post about Farshore, which looks like an Everdale clone, and or the the Castles of Burgundy special edition, as if that really needs a review. I mean, it's Castles of Burgundy, but it looks nicer. If you like Castles of Burgundy, you're going to like this new one. What's the difference? Apart from the fact that it was overpriced and had miniatures that you don't need and just get in the way of your eyesight. But I don't know. That's, I, at least I'm covering a bunch of these little ones. But you wonder why other people aren't covering some of these little ones because a lot of people just don't care about them. But uh, at the end of the day, I want to get some informative content out there about games, giving my honest opinions, and, you know, bring some little hidden gems to people's forefront. I mean, I would have never... You know, who else is doing, like, Isle of Trains reviews? And who else would review Aurum? You know, a trick-taking game from Pandasaurus. Would anybody else review that? <laughs> Bet you anything there's going to be a very small number of reviewers who are going to cover that game in period. But, hey, at least I am. It just <laughs> needs to get a bit more traction. But, well, well, we'll see how things go. It's just, I guess it's the summer lol. You know, where summer, people are doing other things. It's hot. People want to go out to see people, stay outside. They're not sitting indoors watching YouTube. So, I guess we just got to, you know, ride the waves. You know, ride the storm until it eventually passes. So uh, let's talk about uh, future stuff I'm doing very briefly because uh, one of them I want to focus on a little bit and another one, uh, and the rest I just want to sort of briefly mention. So there's a lot of conventions planned for the rest of this year for me. You know, I've got a lot coming up. And so I just want to sort of briefly say on some of them what I'm doing and then focus on one in particular. So first off, um, I have recently just been invited to turn up to a convention that I wanted to go to years ago, but COVID got in the way and then the convention got cancelled loads and just couldn't do anything about it. That would be Midgard. This one is a games convention held in, in Iceland, 
which is probably up there in the top three, if not my number one places I want to visit. This is a country that just sounds like it's tailor-made for me. Gorgeous scenery and cold. <laughs> it just works for me, I guess. Then, then you add board games to the mix, what more do you want? So... I am definitely looking forward to turning up at this one. Now, we got to sort out the logistics, uh, travel and things like that. But I have the time. September 9th and 10th is when it's happening. And I'm down for it. I have the time. I can take it off work. You know, nothing happening family-wise that time. So I, sh I am available. And I hear, like, Dave and Ilka Lusa are going to be there as well as guests. So it would be good to hang out with them. Maybe do a panel together, that sort of thing. But... Yeah, I'm excited to see a couple of friends who I know in Iceland and, you know, be shown around some of the scenery and that and just basically attend a new convention that sounds like it's quite a good laugh. I mean, everything I'm seeing from these videos looks promising from the cosplays to the, you know, the games on offer. And yeah, I'm excited for this one. How many years in the making? Five years in the making? Four years in the making? You know, to try and get to this convention and finally... Please, for the love of all that is holy, can it happen this year, please? <laughs> I just want to go. Uh, but then there's also HandyCon. HandyCon is back. You know, this convention took a bit of a hiatus for a while. Um, Paul Harris had to sort of uh, stop things for about a year and a bit. But it's now back with a vengeance, because no longer are you just getting one convention a year or two max. You're now getting, at the moment, three, it seems. It's like a convention every quarter at this rate. We've already had one in May. There was one at the end of this month in July, so I'm going to that one. And there's already another one in November time, I think. So, yeah, there's quite a few. Or is it November time? Or is it July now? And, yeah, I think it's July now. And then there's November... Yeah, there's July now. There's one in October, so end of October. And then there's one in January 24. Okay, I'm going to go to all of them, but Jesus Christ, that's a lot of conventions. But credit where it's due, HandyCon's a pretty sweet convention. It's just, a, it is simply just, you know, I mean, they're upgrading that bit of the website, but maybe I can pull together the July one. Um, it takes place now in Milton Keynes at the Delta Hotel. Not the cheapest place in the world, but it's, uh, you know, still not too bad a venue, although the food sucks. You might want to consider going out for a meal, I guess, or just sticking to breakfast. Don't have their buffets. Yeah. I've never seen so much onion shoved into a lasagna in my life, and I... Do a bit of cooking myself. I can cook you a decent chili con carne. The chili con carne that was there made me sad. I wanted to cry at the sheer, like, crappiness of their chili. But, you know, I digress. Food not great, but the rest is pretty sweet. The venue is good. It is air-conditioned, and it's uh, quite spacious. There's a lot of tables. They've got a gym there. So I'm going to stay at the hotel this time because they've got a good rate for handy conners. And I'm going to probably attend the gym now and again, you know, go for a run, you know, get some exercise. But yeah, lots of gaming to be done. But now, HandyCon's a nice social atmosphere. BridCon, of course we got to talk about that one. This one, 17th to 19th of November for 2023. I will be there, of course. I always go to GridCon because, again... Good social atmosphere, lots of different types of games being played. Of course, you know, Paul Grogan's you know, good little buddy of mine, so it's good to support his stuff. He runs a tight ship with this convention, with the volunteers. Good library, very good raffle. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff to be won on those charity raffles he does. But, and the venue was pretty good. I mean, it's a, a Express, what is it called? It's, does he say it on here? I'm not sure, but basically, I think it's like a holiday... They blend together, these things. Holiday Inn, Holiday Express, uh, Express Inn, Premier Inn, and that is... They just blend together. I forget the brand names, but... Oh, yeah, here we go. Holiday Inn in Taunton. 
So it's in my hometown. Uh, not that that's much to brag about because Taunton wasn't exactly, you know, the best place ever when I grew up there. And let's face it, it's a shell of its former self at this point. Um, you know, times uh, times have changed and it's uh, no longer the town that I can overly be proud of. But, you know, it's good to go back there every now and again, just mainly so I can see the parents. But the idea here is that it's a very good venue. It's, uh, again, pretty spacious. Food there is actually decent, although to be fair, most of the food I've had has just been the breakfast, but food there has tasted fine. They have a gym on site. I think they even have a swimming pool on site if you're an attendee, which is pretty cool. And it's just, yeah, it's another good social time. You know, I really enjoy it and it's always good to go back. So I will see you at GridCon. And of course, I'll be going to Essen. So early October, 5th to 8th of October, I'll head there a little bit earlier. I'll, st I'll go on the Tuesday and stay through the Monday. Uh, I'll be staying with, you know, a bunch of people at the, again, I forget what they are. I'm going to guess it's Holiday Inn. <laughs> Was it a premiere or whatever? It's one of the ones in the middle of uh, Essen itself next to the train station. You know, Paul Grogan and a bunch of other people will be staying at the same hotel. But yeah, we get a lot of games played. It's a good central location you know, close to food establishments and places to have a drink and that. And of course I'm going to Essen. I need to make certain I get the emails out to the publishers in advance though, so that I can actually look at review copies and meetings in advance. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Two things worry me with this though. This whole rearrangement of the floor plan where they're going to sort of put types of games together. I'm curious to see what effect that has. I'm a little bit concerned. But also, uh, what's the other thing that was concerning me? Please don't have us wearing face masks. We're done. We're beyond COVID now. We don't need to wear face masks at these events. It is very difficult to talk to people and teach games, demo games and all that when you've got to wear this blanket over your mouth the entire time. I always take hand gel with me. I'm always hygiene conscious, okay? So I am, you know, I will gladly be germ free there. I don't have to worry about catching something because concrud is just an occupational hazard and let's face it i've caught stuff from you know concruds before even while wearing a mask so it's not like it's a full proton solution but oh man trying to talk in this noisy location with face masks is a pain so i hope they've scrapped them this year but i haven't seen any confirmation which is why i'm a little bit worried and it's not germany that's enforcing this it's the convention so convention get with the times and move on i don't know but i'll see you at SM. In fact, another thing, they've started doing these little workshop things on Saturdays now, Essen, where uh, for about two to three hours, a, a content creator can be in the location with other content creators and people can just come up and visit, play some little games with them. I missed out on this last year because I didn't realize it was a thing until the last minute. I'm going to pay close attention to the emails now and make certain that I get on this year's. So I'll let you know more in due course. But yes, if they do another one of those sessions, I will be there. So you'll be able to actually come and visit me at a specific location rather than trying to find me randomly in the convention itself. Will I be demoing any games? That remains to be seen, throat and uh, time permitting. And then finally, Shape, Battle and Roll. It's the Southampton Convention. Uh, it's local to us. Me and the friends go there. It's held twice a year. Next one is the first weekend or last weekend of um, September, basically. It's people turn up and play games. It's nice, friendly. It's quite small, but there's not that many people there. There's usually enough tables, and it's just it's it's one of the more small-scale conventions. It's run by people we know, and it's just nice, 
cheap and friendly. I mean, there's not much else to say. Board Game Extras are there on site, which is a good uh, store if you want certain games and LCGs and card sleeves and stuff. You know, really nice people. And it's just, yeah, it's another friendly convention, but at least it's local to me, which means I can drive there from home for the sake of a half-hour car trip. So there is that advantage. But yep, I will see you there as well. But here's the one I want to focus on. I want to focus on this one. This is turning up in two weeks. This is the 24-hour gaming marathon. And the 24-hour gaming marathon is a basically a one-day convention because, well, it's called 24-hour, which you expect. It's basically a day which will be held at the Shrubbery Hotel Ilminster, July 22nd, 9 a.m. to 9 a.m. Yes, because this is, as the title says, a 24-hour gaming marathon. I went there last year, and basically, uh, a guy I know called Dan Apsey runs it with uh, some friends and volunteers, and they run it on behalf of a charity called Cots for Tots. This nice little cute thing here with the Gromit um, uh, logo on it, as in Wallace and Gromit. Uh, probably more a thing if you're British. <laughs> if you're American, look up Wallace and Gromit. You will love it. But this one is uh, um, basically a kids' charity, and so far they've raised 17 grand for the uh, pr uh, thing, and then we haven't even started the convention yet. I forget how much they raised last year, but it was pretty significant, but I think we're on course to beat that this year. And essentially, they run a live Twitch stream. In fact, you can even see me on some of these photos here. There's me in TV there, and there's me with my back to the photo, unfortunately, but this is when I was teaching Outer Rim on live stream so they do that i'm not doing any of the live stream stuff this year at least i haven't booked in to do so so you know i mean no it doesn't get a huge amount of views the twitch stream but it's cool that it's there and it is just fun to do some live streaming because i do enjoy it but they do other events they do some tournaments some stuff that's good for kids and obviously people can just turn up and play games but the main thing is that i will be there and i will be doing the 24-hour marathon again so last year i did it and believe me driving home after 24 hours being awake is um scary to say the least in fact this time i intend to literally once the convention finishes drive 10 minutes to a local campsite which i know is in the area and i am going to put the car seat down and i'm gonna have a kip because it's not safe to go back when you are that tired it was a little bit on the freaky side, but I had to get back for an event. This time I don't. So this time I can take the time on Sunday to just find somewhere, you know, even on the side of the road if I have to, and just kip in the car, you know, find a place to get some rest. It's great fun though. It's a challenge because I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you took a Sudoku puzzle book or whatever puzzle floats your boat, a crossword puzzle book, and you focused on that and did that for 24 hours. Okay, let's say you never got bored of doing the crosswords or the puzzles, but you just sat down and did that for 24 hours. Your brain, by the end of that, is going to be completely fuzzled because your brain is constantly trying to, you know, process information, come up with strategies, tactics, and all this stuff in board games, and 24 hours of that is not easy. Okay, so this is quite an endurance test, but it's a fun endurance test. I enjoyed it last time, and I'm going to do it again this time. I mean, every year I get older, it's going to get harder and harder to do <laughs> because of age. But, you know, I look forward to seeing some people I know there. Paul Grogan, I think, is going to be there as well. So there's uh, um, uh, some, was it, oh, what are they called? The, dang, I can't remember the, damn, I'm having a uh, <laughs> uh, mind blank. Um, whose turn is it anyway? Podcast. Yeah, they, they, they'll be there, and... You know, so it, this one's a good social event. It's just nice and friendly. Everybody's there because of the charity. So it's all good. There's a raffle and everything. But yeah, 
I have no idea what I'm playing, except I think people asked me to bring the gallerist to teach. So uh, that's going to feature. Although if anybody is going there and has mosaic, as in the good fun Colossus version of mosaic, I would like to be taught that, please, because I really still want to play that game. But what I'm saying here, though, for the 24-hour board game marathon is obviously, if you see me there, by all means, say hi and let's play some games. But obviously, this is a charity. So I'm more interested in getting people to actually donate. So even if you can't make it to the convention, there is a donate link on their website. It's just giving, so it is legit. And basically, um, I know that looks like a really low target, 160 quid of 2,500, and I just talked about 17 grand. This is just one of the ways they raise money, okay? They've got ticket sales, they've got 10% off bring and buys and stuff like that. So they collate money in from all sources, okay? So they do have 17 grand worth of raised funds. It's just this is all they've got from a Just Giving page, which is usually the lowest means of getting money that they do. But I would like to ask everybody... Right, go to the website. It's just called the 24-hour board game marathon.co.uk or something. Or you can look up justgiving.com and look up the 24 board game marathon 2023. You can't miss it because it's got the Cots for Tots logo on it, ailments to Somerset. And I would say please just donate. Just donate. I mean, you don't have to donate loads. You know, some people have done 20 quid, 10 quid. Donate a tenner. Donate a fiver if you have to. Whatever. Just donate some money this is you know you're transforming the lives of sick babies and children this is a you know a charity worth doing and it's a good cause it's good it's good just generally good it's a good thing you know why you know i mean here's some detail here here we go the special care baby charity to save and transform lives at the neonatal intensive care unit at st michael's hospital bristol so you know this is a good cause Turn up to this page and give some money. I haven't got a personal link. This is just their link. So it's not like, um, you know, there's no like broken meeple referral link or anything like that. This is just go to this page and please donate. Okay, that'd be fantastic. All right, so I'll see you there if you're going. If not, then hope you'll be able to support a good cause. Right, well, let's talk quickly about a game that I have played recently. I know that seemed like a long introduction, but, you know, if nothing else, this episode is giving you, particularly if you live in Britain, an idea of a lot of conventions that are coming up that I'll be attending, not to mention if you live in Iceland or Germany or, yeah, that would be actually, yeah, Iceland or Germany, then hopefully I'll see you at those conventions. But for this one, I want to talk about a game I literally played on Friday. It's called Pax Porphyriana, is that how you put Porphyri? Well, Pax Porphyriana. Right, so that, that name was doing my head in the entire night. Build a business empire of ranches, mines, rails, troops, and banks in Porfirio Diaz era. This is a Pax game. And you're probably wondering why on earth am I playing a Pax game? Because this really doesn't sound like my cup of tea. Well, to be fair, most of the Pax games I'm not desperate to try. But I tried Pax Premier 2nd Edition. And I thought it was fine. I didn't love it, but I liked it, and I would happily try it again. I've also played a few games of PAX Renaissance. And, again, I don't love it, but I do like it. You know, it, it, it got some cool area control mechanics. I love the fact it uses chess pieces in the new version to highlight stuff. I thought that's really clever. But the card system, kind of, even though, it's kind of weird. I like games where you have a tactical... A card play system where the card state and the board state dictate how you should do your next turn like it's not I'll set a strategy from the get-go and go for this it's more that if things start happening you have to shift your play style and your uh, you know your tactics a little bit based on what cards come out 
It's why I like games like Innovation and uh, Tribes of the Wind and stuff like that. Well, you know, the PAX games are no exception because they usually have some cards that come out and you think, ooh, that's a cool ability, I could use that, that'd be quite juicy, why don't I? Well, again, with this one, this is kind of the same deal, except it's pretty much just cards. I mean, there is no board, there's nothing else, it's literally just a bunch of cards. Now, the one thing that does get in my way with PAX games is that they're all based on historical times that I don't know diddly jack squat about. This one even more so. I mean, you know, what was the, what did it say it was? Let's go back to the title screen a second. Let's read the blurb here. So, uh, Latin for the poor Porfirian peace refers to the 33-year reign of dictator Porfirio Diaz who ruled Mexico with an iron hand until toppled by the 1910 revolution. There is nothing in that sentence that I know anything about. My history knowledge is bad as it is. This kind of history knowledge is completely over my head. And it was the same with Pax Renaissance. It's the same with Pax Premier. I don't understand the theme and subject matter. So even though that the cards are tied to specific events and there is a theme involved, it's difficult for me to get immersed in these games because I just don't understand and in some cases just don't really care about a lot of these subject matters. So, you know, this one in particular I know nothing about. So as soon as cards come out with various types of troops or uh, personalities and that, I'm like, I don't know who these people are. And frankly, I don't care. What does the card ability do? So I have to play these as a very dry affair, which some people probably wouldn't. But is the gameplay fun? Yes and... I mean, mostly yes, I would say. Essentially, these cards reform a market, and it gets cheaper as you go to the end of the market. And basically, on your turn, you only have so many actions to do. There's some fancy boards that have been made for this. That's what these pictures are. But for the most part, it's just played like this with a bunch of cards. But the... Uh, to try and find a... Maybe I can find a... That's a that's a more common one. So ignore the board. I think that you had to get a special board. But basically, the card market, you've got the costs there. And you have different regimes where if you're in a certain regime, mines and banks generate different levels of income. But then the cards that you get, you can build little enterprises which get you income you can put personalities down which give you special abilities you can put troops down which act as offense or defense but what's happening is that you're essentially trying to uh, like accumulate victory points in one of four different categories command loyalists uh, revolution and outrage and different cards will give you different victory points in those types and other people might end up giving you them by various actions but the idea is is that there are topple cards in the deck and when they come out when they're activated depending what regime you are you evaluate the victory points of that particular type like loyalists will come off the pax porforiana card whereas us intervention regime will trigger um i think that triggers revolution i can't remember but you know basically you get the point and the idea is is that you then look at the base difficulty value of diaz you know the guy that you're trying to overthrow as the objective of the game plus whatever uh, modifiers other players might contribute because of how many victory points they have in that category and if you have the most then you basically win the game at that point so you're going for an all-out flat victory at various stages so timing is key and certainly you know playing the right cards is key ah, boss shepherd that was the guy i was playing actually basically a rich american now, 
There's no real artwork on these. It's mostly stock photos and stuff. So, I mean, as you can see from this picture, it's not exactly a looker. It uses tiddlywinks for markers and cubes. So, yeah, there's nothing in this game that I would consider to be a looker. I mean, we had to use clay chips for, uh, you know, money, you know, to get over the fact that the money in this game is like, bleh. But the game itself I found interesting. Now, yes, I didn't understand what any card was really going on about, but the whole idea of getting these VPs and the interaction with players and the timing, speculating on the market, that, I thought was good, but it did seem a little one note for a lot of it. I mean, you'd sort of spend a lot of the time just getting a few of these enterprises out, the odd personality, and just, you know, occasionally having stuff that's bad happen to you, so you've got to be comfortable with that. And then maybe 90 minutes, two hours later, somebody wins by regime, and it's hard to gauge who's going to win at any particular time, so it can just sort of creep up on you. The game itself was fine, but I think I preferred the other PAX games, although I would still give this one another try. You know, the idea of all these different victory points and going for a regime change. And, you know, changing the regime was a cool mechanic in itself. You know, some cards did it and it had effects on your income and stuff. So there was stuff I liked in this game. But I don't know if I would consider this to be like one of the better PAX games. You know, I still think Premier and Renaissance were better. And this is 2012, it's an older one, so, you know, it got, re it got reprinted, but it still looked nasty. I mean, they could have improved the card artwork, some of the components, made a better box, you know. what? Well, actually, no, they made a half-decent box, that was literally it. But, you know, they could have done so much more. But the game is fine, I would play it again. I'd play it again, we played it with three people, and after the teach, it was about a 90-minute game. Which wasn't bad. I mean, 90 minutes for something like this, I thought was a pretty good length. Although, the idea of playing this with four or five, I think it would just be way too chaotic. Uh, well, four maybe, five, no, I'm not playing this with five. That'd be too chaotic, too much downtime, not something I want to do. But, if this was offered on the table again, and we had 90 minutes, and there was only three of us who knew the game... I'd be down for this. It took me a while to get used to some of the rules in this, because there is a lot of side rules. The rule book is utter garbage, absolute utter garbage. And, you know, the cards don't exactly help you with a lot of this stuff. It's not intuitive in any way, shape or form, but I still enjoyed it overall. I would give this another go, even though as I look at all these cards here, I don't know who Don Luis Terrazas is. I don't know what the Banco de Sonora is. I don't know who Alvaro Obregon was. I don't know anything special about the University of Arizona, or who Hearst newspapers are, whatever. All of this stuff is just way over my head. But the game itself, I found to be interesting. Perhaps the PAX games are, you know, perhaps I... I'm fine with the PAX games. As much as their themes don't interest me at all, mechanically I can get behind some of the PAX stuff. I think the tactical nature of a lot of these games appeals to me. So, you know, maybe that's why they're working for me so far, as much as normally I would look at them and go, you know, this game can't be anything I would enjoy, surely. But turns out so far, I'm liking them. Curious to know your thoughts. Um, ignore Renaissance and Premiere. I've already played those, although... Actually, I don't know. Tell me what Premiere is like to play solo, alright? So I already know sort of what it's like to play multiplayer, but tell me what it's like to play solo. Is it worth getting the game for solo mostly? I'd be interested to know. Um, what about other PAX games? PAX Emancipation, PAX Humanity, there's a few of them. What are they like? Are they any good? Or are they just not as good as the others, in which case skip them? Uh, let's take that. But yeah, overall, more, more of an interesting game than I was expecting. So... Judge a book by its cover? Not always. Sometimes you just got to go out of your comfort zone a bit. Right. 
So, with that said, let's talk briefly on the discussion topic. Uh, no news today. There's not really much in the news, really. I mean, you know, a, a solo-only Gloomhaven. Not that interested. Uh, Farshore. All I seem to see on the uh, Instagram accounts, Farshore, the clone of Everdell that's come out from the same publishers. And every Instagrammer got a copy of it, and a lot of other reviewers got a copy of it. Funny enough, I didn't, because criticism ain't something they want. They want someone to sing the praises of it, and there's no guarantee that I'll do that. So, <laughs> story of my life, basically. But, you know, I wanted to talk about a brief discussion topic, which is alpha gaming. Alpha gaming, not something you tend to see much these days, I must admit. But it was quite prevalent uh, about 10 years back, when co-op games were really making a resurgence. And... It's basically to, for those that are new, Alpha Gamer is, think of an alpha of a wolf pack. Basically, someone who takes charge and dominates a game, usually at the expense of fun or to the detriment of the experience overall. Because it basically coordinates with um, co-ops only. It's a co-op thing. And so it's the idea that you would have one player taking control so they're dictating what people should do they're coming up with all the answers they're saying we should do this 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 and this yep you've done it great right let me think all right we'll do this this and this and they become very controlling they're, they're dominating the other players particularly if they're one of the more outspoken people at the table and the rest are more introverted or new to gaming they're not likely to speak up much so they feel like they're just getting taken along for a ride it is a problem but there is a weird little debate that goes around, which is what problem, who's responsible for the alpha gamer problem? Is it a game problem or is it a person problem? Because, you know, you think, well, the game shouldn't allow for alpha gaming, but then the person doing the controlling is the alpha gamer. So is it actually a person problem for the fact that they shouldn't act that way rather than do this? And so it is a little bit more of a tricky you know, way, you know, way to think about it. And it, and honestly, I would say that you kind of have to look at it in both ways. It's not a simple answer of just saying it's a person problem or a game problem, despite the fact that you will see people label it as one or the other. But I think you need to see it from two different perspectives because, you know, I mean, of course, the person should maybe try to reel themselves in, rein themselves back, not dominate the game too much. But there are some co-ops that lend themselves to alpha gaming more than others. And so game design should be at a situation, no, sorry, at a point now where we don't allow for that kind of thing. One of the classics of old Pandemic. Pandemic is notorious for alpha gaming because as much as there is some information you don't necessarily know in there... By the time the infection stack starts refreshing, you have some idea of where it's going. But because it's an efficiency game with the four action points and where people need to go, you can play it as a co-op, but then you could simply just control multiple people and play it solo. That one is notorious for an alpha gamer problem because you get the people who have played Pandemic to death and think they know it all and therefore say, right, based on what the four of us are doing, you should go there, you should fly over there, give me that card, and then I'll go trade this in. Right, we're good, done. Moving on. And wow, do games of Pandemic crash and burn hard if you have someone like that. But, yes, that's partially the person's fault, but then the game lends itself to that. You know, it doesn't have any way to mitigate this problem. You have something that where there is clearly better moves than others in a situation. And so, 
is particularly as it, with experience you will spot those more inexperienced people won't see them so they'll come up with stuff that's really inefficient probably but then that means the one person there is kind of like well we need to win this game this is the efficient thing we should do this and people just follow along with it you know that there is that problem and so you know again it's a little bit of both but here's the thing with this you there are three things that kind of need to be true at the same time in order to say right this is a, a problem okay so firstly the game needs to be prone to an alpha gamer like taking charge so like as i say pandemic lends itself to that Games that don't lend themselves to that are usually based on like hidden information. So, for example, Hanabi. Hanabi, great co-op game. You can't alpha game in that because, I mean, it's hidden information from other players. There's no way that you can control the field. Games like The Crew, it's hidden information, yes. And yes, there may be an optimal move that should happen, but you can't communicate with the other players. So you can't control what they do. That means that there is no alpha gamer in The Crew. Uh, but then also a second thing that needs to happen is that there needs to be a player who is prone to that kind of behavior. Some people don't like taking control of groups. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to hold my hand up and say that maybe there have been times in the past where I might have been guilty of being an alpha player. But I think they are rare. Like really very, very rare. Most of the time, I, I would like to say predominantly all the time, I never subscribe to alpha gaming. I always want to get others involved i'm usually playing co-ops where alpha gamer is not a problem and sometimes maybe i'm the weaker player at the table in which case there's no point me taking control spirit island's a good example you could have an alpha gamer in spirit island but because everybody's got hidden information with their cards because it's such a complex puzzle game and i think just because the spirit island community is just generally nicer anyway but also you have the fact that you don't necessarily know what the adversaries are going to do you know they could go one way or the other and you don't know what events are going to come out and stuff it's trickier to alpha game in spirit island not impossible but trickier but I never alpha game in Spirit Island, and I play it with a couple of friends who don't tend to alpha game in Spirit Island. I mean, they might take a little bit more control than they should, but then they have played the game more and they're more experienced with it, so maybe I'm a little way to let them off. But it's not like I don't get a word in. I get my say in it, so it's more of a group discussion. But then there's perfect examples like Frostpunk. Frostpunk co-op i played it with two friends of mine at uh, the last uh, shape battle and roll fantastic game we got into it we were immersed and we were discussing all three of us nobody took charge and you know because it's very difficult to play optimally in frostpunk because you've got all the events that could happen you don't know what the generator is likely to do for the cubes you know there's all sorts of cool stuff that could happen enough to stop an alpha gamer and i really enjoy it for that and then the third thing is there another player who's even bothered by it? There are some people who actually like other people taking charge. It's a personality trait. You know, you know those color chart things that you got, you did when you were at work, where you basically had uh, like red, yellow, blue, green for your personalities, and red was all the driven people, the ambitious lot, the ones who will take charge and dominate more. And then on the flip side of that, you've got kind of the green side that are willing to help, willing to stay at the back, be a little quiet about it, but you know they're just glad that they're helping the team. Yellow, I think, was usually quite expressive, very emotional, and uh, you know quite jolly. And then blue was more calculating, logic, puzzle solving, that kind of thing. 
I think uh, when I did one last, I was a mixture of yellow and green, mostly. So, willing to help, but also quite flamboyant, expressive and stuff. But I don't usually want to take charge of a particular situation too much. I'm willing to let someone else do it because it's less hassle. But it doesn't mean that I will say nothing because my yellow personality says, all right, cool, someone else can take charge, that's fine. But hey, I want to be involved here. I'm still here, you know, guys. And means I don't have a huge amount of blue because as much as I can do all that logic calculated stuff, I mainly do it when required, like during a game or when I'm at my job, but it's not on all the time. It switches off and then switches on when I need it back. It was, I do like those personality tests. They're quite cool. But yeah, if there's people in the group that aren't too fussed about other people just helping them along for the ride, then the Alpha Gamer doesn't become a problem at that stage. I would say that's pretty rare though, but it is kind of those three that you do have this kind of issue really. Um, so for co-op games in general, how can a co-op game mitigate this kind of thing? So with that thing, the some of it is a person thing you know you know here's the part where you can argue it's a person problem the person needs to be aware that they could be alpha gaming and stop themselves doing it just because the game it lends itself to it doesn't mean that you should go along with it you need to understand look maybe i'm uh asking too much here perhaps i should let other people do it i mean you know perhaps you know what what's your opinion what's your opinion let's discuss and maybe just not be too fussed about winning the game if you think there's an optimal way to win Whatever, but you're playing it with other people. Everybody should be enjoying it at this point. Oh, the throat is killing you. Um, so there is that. But then another way that they mitigate is the hidden information bar. Remember I mentioned Hanabi and the crew, where you don't know everything that's going on? If there's enough complexity or hidden information that one person can't make every decision that they have... I mean, Spirit Island was another good example. Spirit Island is of a significant complexity level that one person cannot dictate the entire game with multiple people and factors in it. There's just too much going on. So that mitigates the alpha gamer problem. But a little bit of randomness will help as well, you know, where, you know, a little bit of you know, not just hidden information, but random stuff that can happen that means you can't play optimally every time. Flashpoint Fire Rescue is one of my favorite co-ops that I used to... I haven't brought it in ages, but... To bring that out for new players is great because it's uh, easy to play, beginner or experience mode, doesn't matter, you can play it with anyone, but the theme works with people, it's simple, you can add more stuff to it if you want to make it more complicated, but in Flashpoint Fire Rescue, yes there's what people could do then, but because you roll for the fire randomly each turn, you don't know the situation that's going to unfold, so you can let players do what they want to do as part of the turn they've got, rather than have one person tell them what to do. And usually in Flashpoint, there's a lot of stuff that's worth doing. Should you go rescue this person? Well, yeah, because we need to rescue seven people to win the game. Should I put out this fire? Well, yeah, because it means less explosions. We're not going to have a problem. Should I get that hazardous material out of the way? Well, yeah, because if it explodes, we're in a whole world of trouble. It's, it's Everything they can do is a good thing, so you don't have to dictate what they're doing. And... I try to think of, let's see, let's think of some other co-ops as I look around at my shelf. Uh, what is it? Marvel Dagger. Uh, let's see, that's a co-op. You know, reviewed that recently. And I would say uh, that can be slightly prone to an alpha gamer problem. Because all the abilities that are on show are on show, including all the support cards you've got. The only thing that you don't necessarily know what's going to happen is what the event deck throws out at you. But you know what the enemy will do. You know what the nemesis will do. You know what each other can do. So that one 
actually could be prone to alpha gamers. Now, I've not had this problem when I've played it uh, during my reviews. You know, I guess it just works and obviously because the actions are simple enough, everybody can kind of chime in with what's a good idea. Uh, but yeah, that one could be prone to it. The game design does allow for it. But I think, you know, people playing it for a Marvel co-op experience are playing it with a bit more of a light-hearted flavor. They're in it for the Marvel license and stuff like that. So perhaps that just kind of mitigates it anyway. Uh, what are the co-ops? Let's have a look as I twist my head and break my uh, uh, neck bone. Uh, come on, there's going to be some co-ops. Blimey, I don't have a lot of co-ops on my shelf up here. Perhaps I just don't have a lot of co-ops on my game in general. Um, uh, well, actually, as I look down there, War of the Ring, the card game, and you know, maybe I should actually bring some of this up on screen, actually. So let's uh, get the screen back uh, to packs. So War of the Ring, the card game. Um, that's a 2v2 game, essentially. And with this one, you can't really alpha game it. Because, yes, you can think, well, it'd be great if you could help me here or here or something, but you don't know what the other player, your teammate, has in their hand. So they're the ones who dictate whether they can help you or not, and they may have ideas that you are not aware of, and therefore you can't sort of plan ahead for. So with that one, I don't think the Alpha Gamer thing happens in War during the Card Game at all, from experienced. You're working together as a 2v2, it's good co-op, and, you know, um, I mean... I suppose there was, well, it depends on experience, because I played this with somebody at Ares Games at the Games Expo, and I was going through their co-op expansion, the one where it's two of you versus an AI opponent, and we both contributed to what was going on, but I think because the, the other guy was more experienced than me by far, you know, there was an element of controlling on his side. But I was getting an idea of how the solo expansion works and I wasn't too fast. And I still had my own decisions and own stuff to lend to the party. So maybe that mode can lend itself a bit more to the uh, the, the alpha player thing. But generally the 2v2 works just fine. You don't end up with such a big problem. Uh, ooh, here's a good one. XCOM. XCOM the board game. I've been one of the ones who have uh, touted the praises of this one. But you try alpha gaming in this one. It just doesn't happen because of the frantic nature of it. The fact that you've got everybody with their different role. You cannot look at their role while you're trying to do yours. I mean, if you're playing a solo, you've got to do all four. And believe me, it's harder than it sounds. But the the fact that everybody's got their own role with their own mechanics, and you're doing it with the app timed phase, means that you cannot alpha game this. You just cannot. You know, I'm doing my own bits. When the app says that somebody else has got to do stuff with UFOs and satellites or defend the base... They're deciding that. I mean, they can shout stuff to the table and go, oh, have you got any suggestions in that? But you've probably got like 10 seconds to make a decision. You can't have an alpha gamer control all of this. There would just be too much going on and too much randomness with some of the die rolls and bits and bobs to anybody to alpha game this one. And this one is still a great fun game. I just never got a lot of buzz. One of Eric Lang's better games, honestly, for me. All right, let's carry on. Let's have a look. Um, nothing down there. Um, I can't really speak for Tawanaku much. I need to get the solo mode. I need to get the co-op mode played again before I review it to see. Uh, is there any other co-ops on it? Well, I mean the LCGs. But then the LCGs are kind of solo games for me. So maybe I'm not going to count those ones as much. Gotta think. What other co-op games would I say lend themselves 
to this. Uh, I mean, oh man, I am absolutely brain farting on this one for co-op games. There's just not. I mean, we mentioned the crew and you know, I mean, Letter Jam, Letter Jam, like the word game co-op. That one very difficult to alpha game of that one because everybody in equal measure has got to come up with decent words for that one so and you really must work as a team for that one you know to win that one so it's always definitely going to be a you know there although let's think of ones like code names for example code names could be a problem because it's a team versus team game but one person could be making all the suggestions so you you play a game like this and there's the cards on the table and you see these clue words and the guy gives you the clues and says, you know, baking, free, whatever. And then that one alpha gamer thinks they know every single answer that comes out and tries to convince everybody else it's got to be these three, nothing else. This one definitely has, from experience, lent itself to some degree of alpha gaming from people who do think they understand every single clue they get and are only put in their place when they get one wrong and even then not necessarily put in their place at that stage because they assume that the person gave a bad clue and it wasn't their fault trust me there have been some bad people who have played this uh mysterium that comes to mind actually mysterium so you are working together to solve the mystery in a sense and you've all got these cards that r represent your ones and you're trying to figure out those but you're giving the dixit cards to try and figure out what it is you're doing this one i mean the alpha gamer doesn't tend to happen in this one much because you know you're given the cards to look at but also because pictures are so subject to interpretation it's very difficult for one player to claim they know it all or to take command because it takes more than logic and all that stuff to interpret a picture for what it is you're trying to relate it to. And sometimes it's blatantly obvious, sometimes you've got to look at the color, sometimes it's a bit more abstract. And a lot of that is going to come down from group discussion rather than one player taking command and saying, you know what, <laughs> this is how it should be done. So this one tends to lend quite well. Come on, there's going to be some more... Uh, co-ops that I can think of. Uh, I mean, dungeon crawls? I mean, we mentioned things like Gloomhaven and that. I suppose dungeon crawls uh, could be... Yeah, dungeon crawls can lend themselves to a bit of analysis. Sorry, analysis. Alpha gaming problems because in this one, you know, you do have some mitigation in Gloomhaven, for example, with that stupid rule where you have to say, um, I reckon I could go before you really early, but not quite. You know, that dumb thing where you're not allowed to read the numbers. Just read the numbers. It's a load of stupid rule, that. But, you know, if you take that out, then there is some degree of alpha gaming that can happen. But, yeah, the fact that you don't know what's in other people's hands is definitely a mitigating factor. But you can have situations because Gloomhaven is one of those dungeon crawls where you can predict a lot more of what the enemy's going to do because it's less of a dungeon crawl and more of a Euro puzzle that it is possible for somebody to kind of take charge and dictate what other people should do in this particular situation. Yes, there's definitely some things that could influence what you're doing there, but it doesn't escape it entirely, that must be said. All right, let's quickly... Here's an idea. Let's go into advanced search... Uh, let's look up board game category. Uh, here we go. Nope, that's not what we want. We want board game mechanic. And we want cooperative... There we go. Cooperative game. So, okay. Let's do that. Submit. Let's have a look. 
And so here we go. Bunch of co-op games. Let's uh, sort by rank. Not that I trust the ranking system on uh, Board Game Geek, but at least it will just get them in the line. So I already mentioned Spirit Island. Nemesis doesn't really count because mainly people play that in semi-co-op mode. LCGs, Mage Knight, everyone plays that solo. The crew I've already mentioned. Too many bones, people play that solo. Marvel Champions, again, LCG. Um, I've already mentioned about the pandemics. The same thing that applies to pandemic can also apply to the legacy games. Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition kind of works on a dungeon crawl basis, and even then I prefer to play that solo. Man, a lot of these co-op games really are just solo games at the end of the day, aren't they? Uh, but let's see. What Robinson Crusoe. Mm, Robinson Crusoe uh, definitely lends itself to some alpha gaming, because yes, you're rolling dice and there is a random element from the cards, but you are selecting two actions worker placement style, effectively. So one person could take command... And basically dictate how people should take out their disc. And given that this is not an easy game to win, there's definitely more incentive to do that. But I have not played this game in ages. I mean, the Kickstarter upgrade pack and all that lot's been delayed so many times that by the time it comes out, I hope I've still got a desire to play this once it does. But I don't feel like getting the two boxes behind me out and unpacking all the stuff that's in there until I get this upgrade pack and the new tutorial and stuff. I need that new stuff to to bring this into a resurgence, even though I really enjoy the game. Trying to sort through all the expansion stuff, which really, I do suggest that if you are going to get this copy of Robinson Crusoe, ignore the expansions, just stick with the base game. Uh, you know, I hope it doesn't kill my enjoyment by the time it's released, but yeah, this Kickstarter needs to hurry up. Change your grail, solo game. Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth, pretty much a solo game, uh, but I suppose the same thing that happens with a dungeon crawl could apply to this one as well. Blimey, there's going to be some... Party games like Just One don't really count. I mean, you don't have Alpha Gamers and Just One. It's a little party game. That's never going to happen. Uh, let's see. This War of Mine, again, just plays solo. i got to try and find some co-op games which are actually co-op. I mean, I've not played Horrified yet. Horrified is still on my list uh, of games to try, but I want to try before I buy, considering it mainly just feels like a pandemic clone. Uh, Detective and Chronicles of Crime, again, I just tend to play them solo, but you'd be hard-pressed to have an alpha gamer in those ones. I mean, yes, you could have one person who thinks they figured out the entire like scenario, but I feel you need to discuss that with other players to really figure out what's going on. And so that leads to a decent amount of group discussion. Uh, Star Realms, if you play with the mods where you got to work co-op, that I don't think has an alpha gamer thing. Because everybody's got their own hand of cards, everybody's got their own ships. There's too much going on for you to focus on two to three other players that are helping you. But uh, yeah, that one's a pretty good one. Ooh, Marvel United. That's a pretty good uh, example. Uh, you know, I mean, I've ragged on Marvel United for being a cash sink grab and, you know, being way too expensive for what it is and maybe just not being that much, not much in it for gamers, you know, really just being a family kids game, really. But Marvel United, uh, I mean, that one doesn't tend to lend out for gamers, but it could. Well, no, not to an extent, because... The Nemesis will move around based on a card flip, so you don't know what the Nemesis is going to do, where they're going to move and what they're going to activate. In terms of the cards that you play into that action row, you don't know what the other players have, so again, that's information you don't have to hand. So I think this one actually does a better job at mitigating alpha gamerness than 
and most other co-ops, and certainly from a recent example that you can play as a co-op game pretty easily as well as solo, that well, does speak some credit to it. Uh, anything else? I've already mentioned Mysterium. Ghost Stories. Ooh, Ghost Stories. That one definitely can come to some degree of alpha gaming um, because of how hard it is and the experience level. But you are rolling dice. And there is still card flips, so there's enough random stuff that happens in it that one alpha gamer cannot dictate how the game is going to go from the get-go. I wonder if there's a co-op that I can see on this list here, other than the pandemics, which can lend itself highly to alpha gamerness. Uh, Forbidden Desert? Uh, possibly, actually. I mean, you have the random element of what uh, happens with the weather cards, but other than that, I mean, where you're selling somebody that they should go clear sand or go explore or do bits like that, this one does lend itself to somebody taking command and kind of, you know, letting every, you know, telling people what to do, even though there is a random element to it. Uh, what else? Cifa Fields, The Loop, don't like The Loop. Thought that was a pretty overrated game. Uh, Gears of War. I can't believe who who has and plays Gears of War board games. Six hundred and eighteen rank. I never seen this game out on a table ever. Uh, Frostpunk. Already mentioned Frostpunk. Uh, that should be hard in six six eight. But yeah, that one I don't find there's any alpha gaming in Frostpunk. Although predominantly I play it solo, but I have played it as a group, and I think it works quite fine. Exit. Ooh, exit games. You know uh, those escape room style games, possibly. I mean, if you have people work on puzzles by themselves, it will mitigate it a little bit. But, yeah, you could have one person just sort of figure out all the puzzles or say, I reckon it's this, this, and this, and go to town with it. It can happen. Although, I don't know, I usually played them solo, personally. But I know a lot of people play them in groups. Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Fuse. Yeah, timed games, much like XCOM, will have that ability to mitigate this. I have yet to play Massive Darkness 2, so we shall see... Yeah, a lot of these games tend to get played solo more than co-op, frankly, but, I mean, you get the point. Oh, yeah, Unsettled. They've got to play that when it eventually delivers. Uh, the game Deep Rock Galactic. Oh, yeah, Deep Rock Galactic is going to be interesting. Can that be alpha gamed, or would that be a teamwork thing? I mean, if you play the if you play the video game, Deep Rock Galactic can be alpha gamed by some people who think that they're so good at the game, they'll just go off on little solo missions, but that doesn't tend to happen much particularly on the higher difficulties. If you're playing a high-difficulty scenario, chances are you're probably going to be working more as a team, and so that doesn't have a problem. I hope that is replicated in the board game as well. You know, otherwise, that will be a problem. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, that. And I still just subscribe that it is not just person or game. It is both. It has to be both. There are mitigating factors that all need to be in play to say that alpha gaming is a problem and not. Um, but it, it's just a case of what do you want and and how is it being done? You know, you know, is there a person who's going to have a problem with it? Is there someone who's doing it to the expense of enjoyment of others? Like, I'm just telling you exactly how to do every pandemic move, so you might as well not be here. You know, that would be, you know, nasty. But then if somebody is you know, if somebody is like, I mean, that's the thing. Um, if you're learning the game, you might argue, well, somebody has to be the alpha gamer because someone's learning the game and they, you know, that'll be fine. But the problem is if they help them learn the game by basically running it for them, then you've, yes, you've technically helped them learn the game, but at what cost? Because that person is then put off wanting to play the game because they don't think they did anything. They feel like they just sat there while someone else ran it. 
you've got to be all I can say is that you've got to be careful with this you know you definitely have to be mindful of your own personality as to whether you are prone to alpha gaming and if you feel like you need to take a little bit more control to help someone learn a game how much control how much you know free range you give them and honestly if you're helping someone learn a game you shouldn't be controlling it for them remember the flashpoint uh, scenario i mentioned you know loads of good stuff you can do in flashpoint fire rescue so you should allow people to make their own decisions as to what they want to do you help them with the rules you know i say you can do this 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 is all this you don't tell them what your version of the optimal move is you ask them what they fancy doing and then they make the decision i'm going to go put out these fires i'm a firefighter and it's cool let them do that did it work out yay or nay who cares they made the decision, they learned a bit about the game, and they enjoyed it as a result. So, you know, you gotta be, you've gotta make sure you don't cross that line when you're helping someone learn a game and just flat out playing it for them. There is that. But yeah, this is a debate that could go on endlessly. And I don't think anybody, I don't think we're going to get a consensus over exactly how it should be or what it is, you know, whether it's person or game or both. But I subscribe to both. Be interested to know your thoughts in the comments. Right, that's it. I'm going to sign up for this podcast. So thank you for listening. Hopefully I'll see you at one of those conventions I mentioned earlier. And if not, then shame. But uh, definitely, even if I'm not going to see you at those conventions, consider donating to the 24-Hour Gaming Marathon. It's a good cause and I'll be there doing the 24-Hour Hours. So I will do it. I'm doing the challenge. So consider it like you're sponsoring me doing the 24 Hours or something. I don't know, whatever excuse you want to use. But ideally, just give a little bit to that charity. It would be nice for everybody to chip in a little bit. So, yeah, that's it for me on this episode of the Broken Meeple podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. And, of course, check out all the rest of the reviews I've been doing lately. Please, let's get those views up. Fund them up on YouTube. Fund them up on Board Game Geek. Uh, but don't worry, top tens and other content will be on the horizon very, very soon. Okay, I just need to rest my throat and get back in front of a camera. But, yeah, you know, Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully you're enjoying the content I'm putting out. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and remember as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Take care. Love you all.